Welcome to the Calvary St. George's Sermon Podcast, proclaiming the historic faith of Christ and Him crucified. These podcasts are recorded and produced by the Parish of Calvary St. George's in the city of New York. For more information, head to calvarystgeorges.org. We are wrapping up the season of Epiphany, and if you remember what I've said a couple of times throughout this season, is Epiphany is all about, um, and the readings revolve all around this idea The revelation, that's what an epiphany is. The revelation that Jesus is the Christ and that Jesus is our Lord and Savior. And so if that is the case, especially the Savior part is very important. If that is the case, then there's another epiphany that goes with this. Another revelation which is completely counterintuitive and countercultural. And that is you need saving. And so what I want to do tonight in this this sermon uh, from the text and... uh, Uh, is talk a little bit about this, because the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is teaching here in Matthew, and it goes chapter 5, 6, and 7, but it really illustrates and it magnifies this idea that you and I need saving. So what I want to do today is talk about, one, the severity of this passage, because it is severe, you need saving, or uh, to quote Jesus, you need to be perfect. And then I want to talk about how the severity points us to the good news of the gospel, how you are saved or how you are made perfect. And then three, I want to talk about what that looks like in our lives today, how the gospel shapes how we see ourselves as Christians in the world. Really, the summation of the law, the summation of the law is all about love. That's the one thing we have in common with every religion in the world, love. Um, Christianity has the gospel, which makes it unique. But, and we are called to love perfectly. But to love both God and your neighbor perfectly all the time is the demand of the law. And Jesus, in this section of the Sermon on the Mount, is taking the teaching of love to another level by talking about loving our enemies. Jesus says, you've heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. What Jesus is talking about here is a form of the law which was big in, uh, in, in the Jewish, uh, in, in Jewish custom, and it's still big in the Middle East today, but it's called the law of retaliation. And the law of retaliation sets a limit on how much you could punish people because people naturally turn retaliation into revenge. So, for example, say you were in an accident. The way this worked, because of the negligence of another party, And as a result, you lost a tooth or maybe you lost an eye. You could take a tooth and you could take an eye from the responsible party. But you could not take all of their teeth. You could not take both of their eyes. Or as it often played out in those days, you could not take their children. But Jesus, he says, don't resist evil with evil. He takes it to another level. He says, when someone strikes you, Offer no resistance. Rather, invite them to slap the other cheek. Don't take what you're entitled to. If someone sues you, what he's saying here is love them perfectly and give them your shirt and your coat as well. God's law, perfect love, what it does is that it ultimately, it seeks the welfare and the flourishing of others. God's law and perfect love seeks the welfare and flourishing of those whom we love as well as those who can't pay us back and actually, as Jesus tells us today, those who seek us harm, our enemies. 
Jesus says, big deal, you love your friends. Everybody does that. Echoing, uh, echoing from, the, from the book of Leviticus, Jesus says, you must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. I once was in a group studying Matthew, uh, a group of uh, clergy, and I had a colleague begin to pontificate about how Jesus didn't really mean perfect. That instead, what was actually happening here was a form of rabbinic hyperbole. Whenever you hear the word rabbinic hyperbole, reach for your theological holster. But anyway, um, uh, you know, and he was, uh, he was saying that, you know, Jesus, what he's really saying here is, is for us to grow up and be more mature. And that is not inspiring at all. You know, what I, I don't need is a divine nag. What I need is a savior. The message Bible, maybe you've heard of this. They take this chat verse and he talks about grow up, be mature. Like that, I mean, that is, I'm going to lay my theological cards right on the table. I 100% disagree with that understanding. 100%. When God in the book of Leviticus tells the Israelites... When Jesus says, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect, that is not a form of divine suggestion. And this is my first point. Be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect is the standard of the kingdom of heaven. Love perfectly. It is not try harder, but you're making a lot of progress. When a landlord jacks your rent up, you have to love them perfectly. When someone pushes you in the subway, you must love them perfectly. When someone puts up some politically left or politically right nonsense on Facebook, you have to love them perfectly. When someone leaves their dog droppings in the sidewalk, you are called to pick that up cheerfully and joyfully and love them perfectly. Love perfectly is not 67%. To love perfectly is not 88%. It is not 95%. It is 100% all the time. Be holy as the Lord your God is holy. Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. How's that going for you? I mean, the magnitude of this teaching is severe, and to cheapen it with a lot of nonsense about how this is all about growing up and new levels of maturity is crazy, and it's not Christian. This sort of stuff is to leave you under a standard which no amount of maturity can get you to. I mean, it would be amazing if the world, let alone the church, I mean... You know, would actually start loving their enemies, praying for their persecutors, reach out beyond our social bubbles of affirmation. But as humans, we don't. You people talk about this upward spiral. It has never happened. And if you're reading the news, it looks like we're regressing. Just in my own life. It's crazy how angry I'll get at the smallest of things. I was just at Chuck E. Cheese with my son, uh, which is a little slice of hell on earth. But anyway, uh, I was just there. And like there was this grown man, like he's like 38, dressed like he's 17, and he's pushing everybody around for tickets. And I was called to love him perfectly, and I couldn't do it. I just was thinking the whole time, I'd like to choke this guy. It's true. It's true. 
It's the smallest things just like set us off on the inside. And this is what Jesus is getting at. Not just your action, but your intention. Your very heart. This is one of the problems with so much Christianity today is that it thinks your actions cut it when Jesus is trying to get right at our very core. Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Love perfectly all the time. When you naively turn this into a suggestion instead of a divine mandate intended to reveal something about yourself and the human race, then you never understand just how deep the corruption of sin goes and the uncompromising nature of God's law. And because you don't understand that, you never quite grasp how sweet the gospel actually is. And you're left in your sin foolishly reaching for a height that is insurmountable and a life with God on your own terms that will never be ascertained. This mandate's intention is not for us to try harder next time. This mandate's intention is to thrust us to the one who has loved perfectly and loved perfectly for us and our failure to do so. This mandate thrusts us to the gospel, the good news that Jesus perfectly, when struck in the face, offered the other cheek. That when Jesus perfectly not only had his coat taken, but ripped off of him, he offered his back. It thrusts us to the gospel where Jesus perfectly not only walked an extra mile with his enemies, but perfectly carried the cross down the lonely road of sorrows to make us, who were once his enemies, now his children. Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. By the power of the Holy Spirit, let that mandate fling you to the gospel. The good news found in Christ alone because Jesus was perfect and is perfect for you. Jesus came and did the law perfectly and it killed him. But on the third day he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. And in that resurrection confirmed in your baptism and weekly gathered around this table in bread and wine. Jesus gives you something you don't have or can ever achieve on your own. Perfection. His perfection under the law. And this is my second point. As a Christian, Christ's perfection is yours already. It's your perfection now. Jesus takes the law into his hands and gives it to you as a fulfilled gift. Jesus becomes your holiness, your righteousness. Jesus becomes your innocence and your perfection under the law so that you might stand before God totally justified. And in Christ and only in Christ, you are holy as the Lord your God is holy. Now, how does that play out in our lives? What does that begin to look like? What does that begin to look like for us? How does God use us imperfect channels as channels of his perfect love? Last week, 
um, on the Mockingbird blog. And if you haven't read the Mockingbird blog, I'd encourage you to do so. It's amazing. And we'll be once again hosting their spring conference in a couple of months. But last week on the Mockingbird blog, they ran a powerful piece that was in the L.A. Times about a Libyan Muslim immigrant named Muhammad Bezek. And Muhammad takes care of orphans who are terminally ill and in hospice. And he's been doing this for 10 years and has cared for over 60 little kids as they've died mostly in his home. Currently, he's caring for a six-year-old girl who has a rare malformation in uh, a part of her brain. Um, It causes the the brain to protrude through the skull, which means that now she's blind and she's deaf. And she has a series of strokes which will kill her. And during the interview, it happened to be her birthday, and her biological parents were invited, and they didn't bother to show up. Now, the part that caused me to tear up a little bit was when asked how he does it. How does he do do it, the interview asked. And Muhammad said, as he held this little girl gently in her arms, the key is you have to love them as if they are your own. He then sang to her happy birthday, and the article said as his beard and the warmth of the candles brushed her face, she smiled. This is my third point, and I'll wrap up with this. How does this affect us? How does this change the way we see ourselves in the world? Well, down below the article, there were all these things about how, you know, essentially how we just wish we'd grow up and be a little more like Muhammad. How we'd be a little more mature and be a little more like Muhammad. But what this mandate does, what the gospel does, is that it helps us to understand that to truly love, one mustn't try and figure out how to grow up and attain a level of maturity like Muhammad in the article. But instead, to truly love is to begin to see yourself as the little girl. That is where the Christian is. Helpless. Terminally ill. As one who will eventually die. Yet in the hands of a loving Savior. Who indeed loves you as his own. There where any hope of achievement or perfection has been dashed on our own, it is there that we are as that prayer that Jim prayed at the beginning of the service. We're filled with the greatest gift. We're filled with love that stems out of gratitude. And we are made by the one who holds us, vessels, channels of his love and grace. And there in the arms of a merciful Savior, instruments of his peace, others might get a glimpse of what it is to have been loved perfectly. Amen. Thank you for listening to our sermon podcast, produced and recorded at the parish of Calvary St. George's in the city of New York. If you feel led to support the continuing ministry of the parish, you can make an online donation at calvarystgeorges.org slash giving. Thank you.